morning and a welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. <clears throat> I've got a question for you. Have you ever been outnumbered at times? Now, depending on you and your situation, you might just simply say, that's me at home. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of outnumbered. You know, there, there's me as a boy, and then I've got Kimmy and Autumn and Brooklyn, so kind of outnumbered three to one. Well, that... that we also have a, a boy dog, but he's, he's not the largest, not the manliest, so I'm not sure how much he counts. Shadow is a boy. So I don't know, maybe you and your, in your household growing up, maybe you were the only boy in, amongst a, a number of girls or the only girl amongst a number of boys, and you felt outnumbered. Maybe it's based on your home. Maybe it's based on uh, the street that you grew up on. Maybe just those that were around you. You didn't have a, a lot of other girls around you as a girl or a lot of other boys, and, and you felt outnumbered. Or you went to, uh, to play a game in, in school, and, and you felt like you were outnumbered. It was you know two or three against 20, it seemed like. This morning, we're going to take a look at a man who is greatly outnumbered. I'm going to invite you to 1 Kings chapter 18, a prophet by the name of Elijah. So Elijah, he's a, a prophet, he's a man of God, and in this chapter we see a rather ungodly man, a rather ungodly king by the name of King Ahab. At this particular point in time, there's a famine, there's a drought in the land, and the king is looking for Elijah. He's, he's trying to get his hands on this prophet. Elijah shows up, he presents himself to Obadiah. He's a godly man in the king's palace. And ultimately, he has Obadiah bring him, presents him to wicked and sinful King Ahab. Elijah confronts the king, and as we're about to see, he offers a throwdown, a challenge between all of these false prophets and he, as the man of God, as a prophet of the Lord. He is ending up, he is going to be facing not one, not two, not five, not ten, not twenty, not even a hundred. He will be going up against 850 false prophets. Now, how many of you like those odds? 850 against one. If you're playing dodgeball, not very good odds. If you're playing volleyball kickball, baseball, football, not very good odds. 850 false prophets, and here is Elijah as a faithful prophet, man of God, and he is issuing the challenge. The challenge is the God who answers by fire is the one true God. So there's 450 prophets who serve Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. These are the gods of some of the neighboring lands, the neighboring areas that people have fallen into and have sought after. Elijah basically allows them to go first. They're going to go up to Mount Carmel, and they're going to call on their god, this false god, to bring and call fire down upon a sacrifice. The god who answers by fire would be God. Now, just stop for a moment. That's a, that's a pretty bold statement, right? 
I mean, Elijah didn't say, hey, let's do, uh, you know, rock, paper, scissors. Best two out of three, and God will help me to pick the right one. And so whoever wins best two out of three, that God's the one true God. This wasn't rock, paper, scissors. This wasn't thumb wrestling. This wasn't arm wrestling. This wasn't any other of those other competitions. This was a fire, and not fire making, but a fire calling challenge. Wow. And so in the midst of a challenge, Elijah against 850 individuals. Elijah says, the God who answers by fire will be God. How many of you think Elijah was hoping, trusting, praying, believing for God to answer and answer in a big way? He was wanting to receive big from God. Maybe you're there. No, you've probably not faced 850 false prophets, certainly some individuals in in our lives who don't know and and don't follow and don't serve after God, but you've probably not faced 850 individuals in a fire-making challenge. But I bet that we would face difficulties, struggles, challenges. There's heartaches, hardships, physical difficulties and challenges and surgeries and procedures and, and financial difficulties. And we say, God, how in the world can I make it? I feel so outnumbered. I feel as if I can't face what's staring me right in the future. And maybe you feel much the same way. You are ready to receive something incredible from God. So we're going to be looking at Elijah, looking at some of the things that he put into place. What are some of these principles that Elijah followed as we're about to see God do something incredible in his life as he responded to this challenge? So if you're there, 1 Kings chapter 18, we're going to be looking at a few principles from the life of Elijah, how we can receive big from God. Now, the challenge is not, well, I do these things, so God, you have to respond. This is, as we follow through, God is loving, God is powerful, God is able to meet needs. But what would be some of the the qualifications? What would be some of those principles that that are good to to be in our lives as we desire to see God move in, in our situation? Number one, Very simply, we've got to make a personal decision for God. Here's what verse 20 and 21 said. So Ahab, that's the the sinful king, summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. See, Elijah was not afraid to stand up and to make a firm decision for God. You want to, take, you want to talk about some guts? You want to talk about some boldness? He stands in front of his king. He stands in front of all of these false prophets of Baal and Asherah. And he calls them out. He says, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? 
you know, you're trying to serve God, but you're also trying to follow Baal and Asherah, and you're not really making a stand. Choose. Determine. Make that choice to follow God. If God is God, follow Him. But if Baal is, then follow Him. Sometimes we can do something similar in our lives today. We might not have Baal or Asherah, some foreign false gods. We might not have some giant um, altar, some giant structure that's built in our homes that says this is an altar to, to Baal. But no doubt there are other things in our lives that can bring us away from God. And the challenge of Elijah to the people is the same challenge, I believe, of God to us. How long are we going to waver between two opinions, between two worlds? Are we going to jump in and wholeheartedly serve God? Or are we going to waver and kind of stay behind doing our own thing, what our our own flesh desires and, and what the world would offer? Too many times it seems as if we're trying to kind of play it cautious in the middle. It's Sunday, so I think I'm going to lean over to this part. I'm going to lean over to the, to the God thing. I'm going to lean over to, to the God part of the world. Ah, but church is over. I'm going to start creeping over towards my life, what I want to do. And I just think, are we going to make a choice? Are we going to make a decision to truly follow after God? In the Hebrew, that that phrase literally means something like this. How long will you continue limping from one foot to the other? It's this sense that there's no strength, there's no stability behind your life. It's just wavering back and forth. I'm choosing this. No, no, I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to choose this. Elijah's saying, make up your mind, make a commitment, and make it to follow after God. See, the simple fact is, no one else can make that decision for you. As much as we would like to, and when it comes to other people in our lives, as a parent, you would love to make that choice for your child. Or as a grandparent for for your children and your grandchildren, you would love for them to make that choice. You'd love to make that for them. As a pastor who sees many people come in and out of church and and connect with them in the community and other places, I would love to see each and every person determined to follow God. I can't physically make that happen. There's not a a switch to just flip it on and all of a sudden they surrender to God. No doubt you wish you would have a a switch as a, a parent to a child or a grandparent or to a friend or a family member or to a coworker, Elijah was not able to force one another to serve him. He simply said, make that call. Make that decision. Make that commitment. If God's the one true God, make the choice. Seek to follow him. See, when we choose to give our lives and we surrender to him, we become his children, Right? Sons and daughters of God. So we are God's children, but God does not have grandchildren. I've heard the phrase. When we surrender our hearts and we surrender our lives to him, we are his children. But our children aren't just automatically just 
brought into God's family, they've got a choice to make as well. Whether they're young children growing up and hopefully that we can teach and, and disciple and train them about God, give them an opportunity to respond, or adults, each and every one of us, each and every one of our family members, each and every one in our community has a choice to make. And so Elijah starts out by saying, listen, we've got to choose. And he's challenging all of those people that are there. The people that came in choosing to follow Baal, the people that came in following Asherah, it's one versus 850. He's saying, listen, you've got to make a choice. I challenge you to choose God. I challenge you to follow after him. That's my challenge to you and I as well. Today, here at Alger Assembly of God, would you make sure you have chosen God, that you've asked him to cleanse and to forgive you of your sins, that your desire is to follow him and to obey him throughout the days of your life. You can make that choice. We can't make that for you. So first thing we see from Elijah as he prepares and desires to see an incredible thing from God, he wants to make a personal decision for God. Second, we've got to be sensitive to the voice of God. Back up to the very first verse of this chapter, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, says, Later on in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, Go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. Seems like such a simple verse. Go talk to King Ahab, tell him I'm going to send rain, but that's not the main part we're looking at. It says, in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah. The Lord spoke to Elijah, and Elijah was able to hear, able to sense, able to understand the Lord's voice. Now we can stop and we can pause and, and you can argue and say, well, was it audibly out loud or was it this, this nudge or this sense? Either way, he heard it. You might not have had, and, and me personally, I've never heard an audible voice of God speaking, booming like from a microphone, but time after time after time, I've, I've heard and I've sensed God's nudge in my heart, his guidance, his direction, his voice. When it comes to Elijah, he was sensitive to the voice of God, looking to hear what God would speak, looking to hear what God desired him to do, to say what he wanted him to be. Can we hear God's voice? Can we recognize God's voice? Many of you have heard me tell the story when I first met Kim. Now, 18 years ago, met her in 1999, back at family camp, and, and God brought us together, and, and, and following family camp, I, I'd gotten her phone number. Now, this was before the time when everybody had a cell phone. This was just the general landline to the house phone. So I was all excited, but a little nervous, you know, to dial up those digits, and so I'm trying to prepare myself. I'm thinking, well, if, if Gary answers the phone, that's pretty easy. I'll just talk to him and say, hey, you know, chat a little bit and ask for Kim. But, you know, people's voices are a little bit different on the phone. We never talked on the phone before. So I type in the 10 digits and this 
pleasant female voice on the other end answers, and it's, you know, it's typically one word. Hello? And so I'm scanning the data in my mind, and so I just, I thought, well, to, to be probably pleasant and, and appropriate, I, I said, hey, this is, this is Mark Andreessen. May I speak with Kim, please? There's a pause on the other end. And then the pleasant voice said, this is Kim. Note to self, I just messed up. First call, and I didn't get her voice. So we, you know, we chatted and we talked, and I don't remember how long it was till the, the second time that I called her, whether it was the next day or whatnot. So I called back, and again, a female voice on the other end answers, and it's just one word. It's hello. I go, oh, must be Kim again. So I said, hey, Kim, it's Mark. Again, there was a pause on the other end. This is Sue. I'll, I'll get Kim for you. Oh, strike one, strike two. So we kind of laugh and, and joke, and we, we talk through. So by the third call, I could get all, all psyched up for this. I've, I've messed up twice. Kim answered, and I asked for Kim. Sue answered, and I said, hi, Kim. I said, I've got to be right on the third time. You know, and it's just two conversations now, so I've got a little bit more data on how somebody sounds, but it's, it's still, it's not this lifetime of phone conversation. So I had a plan for the third call. So the third time I called, again, Gary didn't answer. It would have been very, very helpful had he answered the phone. He didn't. But a female voice answered on the other end, and, and I go, oh, hey, it's, it's Mark. How are you doing today? And I started asking general questions to get whoever it was on the other end talking so that, number one, I could hear their voice longer, but number two, based on how they answered the question as far as how they're doing or what their day was like, that would pretty much clue me in as to whether it was Kim or her mom, Sue. And honestly, I don't remember which one it was that answered the third time. I just know I was right. Because I waited long enough, I heard long enough, enough words, enough conversation, I was able to understand which was which. And we laugh and poke fun at myself, and I do that. But it's always illustrated this thought to me when it comes to the voice of God. Because we'll say, I just, I don't know what God desires. I don't know what God's will is or what God's voice is. How, how do you know what, what God wants you to do? And it comes down to, to hearing and being sensitive to his voice. But to hear God's voice, to be sensitive to his voice, we've got to spend time with him. You see, over time and over just several phone calls, I spent more time talking to Kim on the phone and the more that that happened, the better I was able to be so that future times when I called, I was able to discern Kim or Sue. The very first time was a challenge. Five letters, two syllables, one word, hello. But more conversations in person, more conversations over the phone, and I got a much better sense of the voice. Same thing with God. As we spend time in his word, as we spend time in prayer, as we spend time listening for, sometimes being quiet and, and allowing him to speak into our hearts might not be audibly. It might be kind of that nudge. It might be kind of that, that just 
guidance and direction towards something we've read or towards something we've prayed, the more that we do that, the greater sense we will have to the voice of God, the will of God, the direction of God. Now, this was something we mentioned quite a few times as we went through and studied the book of Joshua because on multiple occasions, God was speaking to Joshua. The Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said. Joshua heard, obeyed, and followed. But before we obey and follow, we've got to put ourselves in position to hear from him so we can have a greater sensitivity to him. The choice to spend time in his presence it's yours alone. It's mine alone. I had a great desire after meeting Kim to, to spend time with her, talking, sharing, getting to know her better, hearing her voice one month in or two months in or one year in or 10 years in, now 17 plus years of marriage in. Much better sense of her voice than from that first phone call. The same thing for you and I in our Christian walk. The more that we spend time with God in his word and in prayer, the greater sensitivity we will have to what he desires to do. So as, as we're facing all of these situations, we're facing these situations of, of physical and financial and spiritual and relational and other kinds of needs, we say, God, what do you desire to do? Let's put ourselves in position to hear from him and then let's be ready to be sensitive to what he shares. Sometimes that means kind of getting rid of or eliminating some of the distractions that can kind of come in between. Connecting to God, being sensitive to his voice. Thirdly, as we look at some of the things that we see from the life of Elijah as he's preparing, desiring, wanting, hoping for something incredible from God. Number three, he remembers God's work. Verses 30 and through 32, Elijah calls to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been turn, uh, torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Now in just a few moments, we'll, we'll get to the fact of how in the world the altar got torn down in the first place. But you see, the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Asherah, they were wanting to call down fire from their false gods. And they're doing all kinds of things to try to get their God's attention. They're calling out. They're shouting. They're dancing. They're cutting themselves until they're bloody. And in the process, Elijah got rather bold. Now, let me just say this. This is not necessarily my recommendation of what to do when you're confronted with challenges. But Elijah got rather bold. He, he kind of went up to these false prophets of Baal and Asherah, and he was poking fun at them. Maybe you need to shout louder. I don't think your God can hear you. Maybe he's got a hearing aid. Maybe he's got some, some earwax in his ears. Shout louder, he said. Oh, maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're God's away. Maybe he's on a trip. 
<laughs> Maybe he's on a vacation. Maybe he's not. You're calling to him, but he can't hear you because he's away on a trip. Or maybe he's sleeping. Go, go wake him up. I mean, he's, he's calling out time after time. In fact, he got so bold that he said, well, maybe he's, you know, using the restroom. Now, I would just, I would not recommend going up to, you know, those who are opposed to God, mocking and, and kind of taunting. But th- this is what Elijah did. He was so boldly focused on the fact that God was going to react and respond. So for hours, he let them go first, and for hours throughout the day, they did all of those things. And at various points in time, Elijah would come, and and he would mock, and, and he would kind of challenge and provoke. And so... After hours and hours and hours, and, and this altar now having been torn down, he, he comes, he says, it's, it's my turn. He's putting this altar back together. And it says he took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. Very similar, again, to what we had taken a look at as we went throughout the book of Joshua, how Joshua had instituted some of these memorials, including 12 stones. It signified God's power. It signified these 12 tribes of Israel. It signified all that God had done in bringing them to this point. There was meaning. There was significance. And Elijah was remembering God's work. I want to encourage you, wherever you might be, whatever you might be facing today, remember God's work. Remember what he's done in your life. Are we facing difficulties? Will you face difficulties? Yes. But don't forget what God has done. Don't lose sight of how God has helped, how God has healed, how God has provided, how God has reached in with salvation. Don't forget the good things of God. Human nature is many times to focus on the negative. Human nature is many times to focus on the difficulties and the struggles, and we have those, but don't forget God's work. Don't forget the miracles. Don't forget how he has shown himself faithful in the past. And so here's Elijah. He's boldly calling upon God, boldly desiring to receive big from God. He's he's allowed these false prophets, 850 of them, hours upon hours upon hours. And finally, it's his turn, and he rebuilds the altar and makes sure there's 12 stones as he's pausing and reflecting on all that God had done in the past. He heard the stories of God's mighty miracles, crossing the Red Sea, crossing the Jordan River, Manna in the desert. I mean, time after time after time, faithfulness of God was there. And there were memorials and monuments set aside to God. Here he does the same thing, and he takes those 12 stones. He's reflecting on the goodness of God in his life, the goodness of God in in the life of the Israelites. Let's make sure that we don't forget about the good things of God. Remember God's work. So we continue the next several verses. What we find is that Elijah fully trusts God. 
Verse 32, he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. Now, we thought that Elijah was bold with how he handled and treated some of these uh, prophets of Baal and Asherah. The fact that he would kind of tease, the fact that he would mock, the fact that he would ask them where their God was. But that's nothing to the boldness and faith and trust that comes when Elijah gets ready for what God has. He knows he can't do this. They're calling down fire from heaven. That was the challenge. Elijah is not a, a magician, a sleight of hand. He, he, he's not going to have lightning come. He, he doesn't have this flamethrower. He's calling on God. And not only is fire supposed to come from heaven to, to burn up the sacrifice, he says, guess what we're going to do? We're going to take four large jars of water, and then we're going to douse the offering in the wood. How many of you have ever tried to light wet wood? In a fireplace, or you're, you're outside, you're trying to make a little fire, you know, in a, in a campground, or a campsite, or at a family camp, or, uh, you know, with your camper, and, uh, you know, maybe it had rained, or it was kind of damp, and so you go out to gather firewood, and all you can find is wet wood. Does wet and damp wood burn? No, it doesn't. And so he takes four large jars of water and douses, completely soaks the offering, which is supposed to go on fire, and the wood that's on top of it. But he's not done. He says, go do it a second time. And for good measure, do it a third time. So he's created this altar of 12 stones. Now on top of that, there's how many jars of water? 12. 12 jars of water on top of the altar of 12 stones. The water ran around the altar and filled the trench. It soaked everything. And this wasn't just dampness. This was a soaking to where the trench was completely filled. Going out into puddles of water and saying, yes, I think it's a great day for a bonfire. But he trusted God. The odds were stacked against him. And yet he made it even more challenging, even more interesting, as the trust was in nothing that he could do. It's in nothing he could provide. The trust was in what God could do. Did Elijah see evidence yet? He didn't. That's the whole thing about faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. His faith... His trust, his hope, was in the Almighty, one true God. He was so confident God was going to work. This is what he did. Now again, you better hear from God before you pull off something like that, right? 
That goes back to chapter 18, verse 1, how the Lord spoke and God gave specific instructions as to what he would do. And he went to King Ahab. He heard God's voice. He had that consistent relationship. His trust was in God. He knew he was going to respond. So again, the challenge is not that we go out and we pick fights and then step back and say, okay, God, now bail me out. (laughs) No, no, no. The concept and the principle is we can trust God no matter what situation we might find ourselves in. It seemed impossible. He seemed outnumbered. One versus 850. Fire from heaven? Really? Who does that? And in a fire building, fire calling challenge to douse it with 12 large jars of water? Who does that? But his trust was in the power of the almighty one true God. Finally, final principle as we get through this story from the word of God, we've got to live a lifestyle of faithfulness. Verses 36 and 7, at the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. See, right right in the middle, he's saying, God, show yourself faithful. Show yourself that this is done at your command. I've listened to your voice. I've been sensitive and I've obeyed you. But did you catch the very first phrase, verse 36? At the usual time... For offering the evening sacrifice. This was a thing and a time that would normally take place. An evening sacrifice. So Elijah was doing something that was normally done. He was doing something he would normally do as a man of God. It simply coincided with this big challenge. He was getting ready to offer the evening sacrifice, taking part. This this is when this would normally take place. Elijah was faithful even before the challenge, being a part of something on a regular basis. Sometimes the challenge comes, and then we say, oh, God, and we run to God. I want to encourage, I want to challenge us to live a lifestyle of faithfulness day in and day out, so that when difficulty comes, when hardship comes, when tragedy comes, we have consistently spent that time being faithful to God, even sometimes in the little simple and mundane things, that we've spent time in the Word of God, we've spent time in in prayer with God, we've spent time in the house of God, we've spent time following and obeying and honoring God, that lifestyle of faithfulness. Sometimes we can get caught up in the spectacular and lose sight of the simple. God, I want fire from heaven to come down. I don't really want to read your word. I don't really want to pray. I don't really want to go to church. I don't really want to do anything. But boy, I sure need your help. 
Sometimes we call for the spectacular, but miss out on the simple, everyday following God in faithfulness. Now, hear me. This is not God responding because we've built up enough credits and we've built up enough points, and because we've done that, God has to respond. That's not how that works. But this is saying that on a regular basis, I want to be in that relationship with him. I want to have that closeness. I want to have that sensitivity to God that when something comes, I have been found faithful and I'm ready. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to work because God, as in the previous thought, I trust you. But I've been spending time with you on a regular basis. And though I don't really want to face what I'm about to face, I do so with you. I'm walking through it with you. Because little by little, we've developed this lifestyle, this habit of faithfulness to the Lord. We say, I want to reach the world. Sometimes we struggle reaching our neighbor or coworker or classmate. We say, God, I want your word to, to revolutionize my life. One of these days I might actually read it. We say, God, I want to I be known as a, as a man or as a woman of God, and, and one of these days I'm going to spend some time in prayer. Sometimes it's the simple day-to-day Life of faithfulness that helps us grow, helps us to continue to stay in tune with God and ready, ready to hear from him, ready to receive big from him when he chooses to respond. We follow through in the faithfulness to the little things. Final thought, bonus thought. God's able to go above and beyond even what we desire. So here's the answer. The challenge was, the God who answers by fire is God. The 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah shouted and jumped and danced and cut themselves and bled, and obviously nothing happened. It's a fake, false God. Elijah says, it's my turn, carefully rebuilds the altar, 12 stones, 12 large jars of water. It's soaked and and running and trenches full of water. He prays, God, help them to know that this was you. These were your commands. Help them know you're the one true God. Verse 38 and 39, here's the response. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. How incredible. It was soaked, 12 large jars of water, and yet the sacrifice was burned up. The wood itself was burned up. Even soaked, it was burned up. But God did more. Not only that, God burned up the stones and the dust. Have you ever seen stones just go poof and burn up. God not only burned the sacrifice, the wood, but the stones and the dust. And if that wasn't enough to convince you about God and his power, it says that he licked up all the water in the trench. 
12 large jars of water, everything wet or damp or puddled was gone. Dried up, burned up, licked up, disappeared. God's power, God's might, God's ability to do even more than what we would desire or seek when God steps into our life. As we call upon and pray about and seek after God and desire to receive something big because we can't face it ourselves, when God chooses to step in and meet the need, let's be careful to do what they did and they responded, the Lord, he is God. This wasn't saying, Elijah, you are so awesome. This was about God. It was about his might, his power, his answer, his response. When God does step into our lives, physical bodies, finances, relationships, whatever the case might be that we face and that we struggle with, and we say, God, I can't face it. I call upon you. I trust in you. And when God answers, let's respond to him. In worship and in praise and in adoration, the Lord, you are God. No one else can do that. 850 false prophets spent hours upon hours upon hours and nothing. Elijah sought the one true God, and immediately in this situation, God responded. I believe that God is able to meet needs. I believe that God is able to meet your need in your situation. Would you trust in him? Would you seek out him?